If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to this wonderful little book of Titus. This is our fourth week going through this, um, uh, through this verse-by-verse study uh, through the book of Titus, which is a wonderful outline when you think about it. Uh, the Apostle Paul has left Titus, his son in the faith, if you will, this uh, young man. We don't know exactly his age, but we have l- Paul has left him in Titus for the purpose of putting pastors in churches in every town and, and developing these healthy, biblically healthy churches. And he has given Titus basically an outline on how to have a biblically healthy church. And that has been our theme over the last several weeks, the last four weeks, and it'll be our theme over the last three or four more weeks to come. But biblically healthy churches, that, that's, that is our, uh, our overarching theme as we, go through, uh, as we go through this study. Listen, biblically healthy churches, this is what we learn by going through this book, that biblically healthy churches are led by biblically healthy leaders. That was verses chapter 1 all the way down to, uh, to verse 9. Biblically healthy churches have biblically healthy leaders. Biblically healthy churches are filled with biblically healthy members. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This will be part one of about three different parts in the area of biblically healthy church members. Now, there is some assumption that because I'm preaching this, I think that we possibly, apparently, we're not a biblically healthy church. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's not why I'm preaching this. I want to preach the the whole counsel of God. And for some time, God had laid this this short little book on my heart. And I just thought this summer would be a great time as God led me to this, to to share this. But here's, here's something that we can never fall into a trap. We can never fall into the trap that we can't get better. That we can't become more biblically healthy. As a church, me as a pastor, as a leader of this church, or other leaders in this church, and as members, all of us can continue to grow. Even if we were 99.9% biblically healthy, there's a 0.1% that needs to grow, right? And so that is the purpose behind uh, me preaching this series on biblically health, biblical health of a church. But today, I want to focus primarily on biblically healthy church members, part one of, I believe, what will be about three different parts. Titus chapter 2, let's, let's read these ten verses and then we will come back and unpack it. Paul is writing to his young son in the faith named Titus. He says to them, to Titus, but you are to proclaim, you are to teach Things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in the faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's Word, the good news, 
the gospel so that God's word will not be slandered. Verse 6, in the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Verse 7, in everything, make yourself, Titus, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. What Paul has just said to Titus is what Paul has been saying to all of his children in the faith, if you will, all of Paul's disciples. He has said to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And now he is saying to Titus, I want you to live in such a way that would, that would be worthy of other people imitating you. It's a great Great discipleship plan. Verse 8. Your message, Titus, is to be sound beyond reproach. So that any opponents, specifically the false teachers that Paul has mentioned in verses 10 through 16. But anyone who would come against the gospel. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. So that any opponents will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything good to say about us. Verse 9, slaves or bond servants or, or in our context today would be employees are to submit to their masters, to their employers in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Father, will you teach us from your holy word this morning? God, would you speak to us? By the power of the Holy Spirit, God, would you, oh, would you shape, shape our minds, shape our hearts in a way that would allow us, would teach us to live a life that brings honor and glory to you, to live a life that would draw others to you, to live a life that would make much of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. Amen. I want to make this statement. What, what, um, what we believe should impact how we live. Let me say that again. What we believe should impact how we live. Let me say it another way. What we believe, this is a more accurate way of saying, what we believe will impact how we live. Our doctrine will match our actions. Reverse that. Our actions always match our doctrine. Our actions match our theology. If we have a theology of that there is nothing to be fearful of, then our actions will be living through life, not ever coming to a place where we, where we won't come face to face with something fearful, but we won't be consumed with fear. If our doctrine is that we trust God with, with what He has us, where He has us, with, with whatever situation God would put us in, if that is our doctrine, then whatever situation, whatever season of life we find ourselves in, we find ourselves being drawn back into the trust of God. But yet, if our doctrine is that I, I, I really don't trust God, I mean, I, I'm trusting Him for, for eternity, but I'm really not trusting Him for my life today, then, then we can go through seasons and we will find ourselves distrusting God because we don't like our circumstances, and we will find ourselves trusting other things, things that this world says you can trust, but always, always, always leads us short. 
You see what I'm saying? Our doctrine can be seen in our actions. I want to show you this, uh, this graphic on, on, the, on the screen. I want you to turn your attention to the screen. This is, this is the life cycle of men and women. I believe that the, the statistics from this come uh, from, um, from a study done in 2014. Now, that's hard to read back there. Life expectancy by gender. Females, 81. Males, 76. The good news is those numbers have gone up a couple of years over the last uh, 15 or 20 years. I remember uh, just reading things not too long ago that, uh, that, that the, the statistics were like 72 for men. So I'm glad we, are, uh, we, will, we will live four years longer. It doesn't take a, uh, a, a, an astronaut to know why women live longer than men. Just hang around men for a while and you can see why women live longer. But I want you to think about it for a second. If you are a man, wherever you're at uh, in your, your age, I want you to think about it in quarters. So if you're a man and you are under the age of 19, you are in the first quarter of life. If you're be, be, uh, between the ages of 20 and 38, you're in the second quarter of life. If you're in the ages of 39 to 57, you've, you've gone through halftime and you are in the third quarter of life. And if you are 58 years and older, you are in the fourth quarter of life. And if you're as old as Stan, you're in overtime. <laughs> now, what about the women? Let, uh, let's do the same thing with the, with the women's ages, except for the older overtime. I won't go there. If you're under the age of 20, you're in the first quarter of life. 21 to 40, you're in the second quarter of life. Third quarter is 41 to 60. And fourth quarter is 61 and on. I want you to think about what quarter you are in. Where are you at on the life cycle? And then I want to ask you this question. This question will be up on the screen. Follow along with this question. What will you do with the remainder of your life that will make the gospel attractive to lost people? What will you do with the next two quarters, three quarters? What will you do with the last quarter of your life? <laughs> Maybe you're in the, <coughs> the fourth quarter of life. What will you do with the last quarter of your life that will... Make the gospel attractive to lost people. May another way of saying it is, what will you do that will attract people to the gospel? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? That God has left me here, after I accepted Jesus Christ, that God has left me here for the purpose of, of drawing people to the gospel. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Well, the book of Titus shows us how our life should and must draw people to Christ if we're going to be faithful and obedient to the commands of God. Our life, no matter what quarter you find yourself in, if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to be, be faithful to God's commands, must draw people to the gospel. 
Let's be honest. I believe that there are some people, I believe that there are many Christians even today who are ashamed of the gospel, the full gospel. Not ashamed of what the gospel provides is, as in eternity, but what, but what it, it commands us to do throughout life. I want to make this statement. I want you to follow along with me on the screen with this statement. A biblically healthy church has church members who recognize their role in advancing the gospel. Here we are talking about healthy church members, biblically healthy church members. Biblically healthy church has church members who recognize their role in advancing the gospel first in their home. First in their home. That's the first priority. Advancing the gospel in your home. Whether you have children or whether uh, it's just you and your, your spouse or whether it's just you, your first priority is in your home. The second priority is in your community. First priority in the home. Second priority is in your community, your circle of influence, if you will. If you was to draw that net in just a little bit uh, tighter, it would be just your circle of influence. But I believe it has to go outside of that. Before you even get to the world, it has to go outside of your small circle of influence to your community. Where God, Listen, God has each and every one of us where He has us for a purpose. Our neighbors are our neighbors, not by accident because of their own purpose. Our co-workers are our co-workers because God has planned it that way, not because it's an accident. Our, our, the people we go to school with are the people we go to school with on purpose. God has a purpose for that. God has a plan for that. And a biblically healthy church is filled with members who, who realize, who, who recognize they have a responsibility in advancing the gospel, first in their home, second in their circle of influence, in their community, if you will, and then third, globally. Globally. Here we are talking about this growing and becoming biblically healthy church filled with biblically healthy members. Apostle Paul, in writing to Titus, in writing to us as well, he is saying this, that our character, our character, our actions, our behavior has the ability, listen to this, has the ability to slander the Word of God or has the ability to draw people to the gospel, has the ability to make the gospel attractive. Our, let me say that again, our character, our behavior, our actions. And this is what we see. The Apostle Paul is writing to Titus and he's saying, I want you to teach these five groups of people how important their character is, how important their actions are, how important their behavior is because they can do one of two things. They can draw people to me or they can push people away from me. I was telling, I was telling Kim this about, about the, the sermon this morning and just kind of walking through it. She always gets the, the preview uh, version of it. And she reminded me of something that I used to say to our teenagers when I was a youth minister. Because you'd take a whole bus full of kids and you'd go into a, a Taco Bell, you'd go into Dairy Queen, somewhere to go eat. And you were, as a youth minister, you're always just like, man, I hope, I mean, you understand as a parent, multiply that by 30. Man, I hope the kids don't break anything. 
I hope they don't leave the place a mess. And so I'd always say to them, listen, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 says this, you are either a gatherer or a scatterer. That's Matthew chapter, you're, you're either gathering people to me or you're scattering people away from me. Think about that. Think about the weight of that. That's what we're called to as Christians. We're either drawing people to him or we're pushing people away from him. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus. I want you to speak to these five groups of people and I want you to show them that how their actions, how their behavior will will push people away from the gospel or draw them to the gospel. Listen, you don't have to add anything to Scripture to make it attractive. You don't have to add anything, nor do you have to take any way, anything away from the Scripture to make it attractive. You know what makes the gospel attractive? Being obedient to Scripture makes the gospel attractive. I'm telling you, that is so counterculture today that it will cause people to rise up and go, why are you being obedient to that? And it gives you an opportunity to tell them about your good Lord and Savior. Being obedient to the Scripture is attractive. Living counter the culture is attractive. Living in submission to God's will for your life is attractive. Living victorious over temptation is attractive. When everybody else is falling for the temptations that, that the world is full of throwing at us, and you're living victorious over those, listen, it is attractive. It, it, listen, families who are, who are not falling prey to the, to the temptations that families are falling prey to. Listen, other families, younger families will look up to you and go, man, what is it? What's different about you? It is attractive. Living fearless in a fearful world is attractive. So the Apostle Paul here is writing. I want you to see this. Let's, let's go back to the Scripture here. I want you to see what he does here in the text. The Apostle Paul says, I, I want you to speak to these five groups of people, six including yourself, Titus. But I, I want you to see what he does here in the text. In verse 2, he says, older men are to be. That, that is a, a, a character. He is, he's saying there's a quality of character that older men should have. Now, jump down to verse 3. In the same way, older women are to be. There's another, there's another verb there that is a, a quality of character. And then he gives some, some adjectives to follow that. Verse 4, skip down to verse 4. Talks about young women. Verse 5, they are to be. Paul, over and over, these three groups of people, he said, I want their character to be in such a way that they draw people to the gospel, not push people away from the gospel. Verse 6, young men are to be. There, there it is again. Verse 9, slaves are to, be, are to submit to their masters and everything. And here it is, and to be. Five times we see where our character the quality of our character, the Christ-likeness of our character has the ability to draw people to the gospel. And so let's look at these five different groups. Now there are some landmines in this text. And I want you to not listen for one little thing. And reject if I say anything else. Listen to the Scripture. Listen to the whole part of the Scripture, okay? And if I say something that offends you, 
as Adrian Rogers used to say, you can come up to me afterwards and I will forgive you. Okay? No. I don't want to say anything that offends you intentionally, but I do want to teach the whole counsel of God. So let's, let's look at it. The first, the first thing I want you to see is what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's, he's contrasting in very very first verse. He says, but you, Titus. As opposed to the false teachers that we looked at last week, but, but you, he, he says, I, I, he is, he is giving him an imperative command. I, I want you to teach things consistent with sound teaching. To these older men, to the older women, to the young women, to the young men, to the bond servants, I want you to teach these things to each one of these groups, this sound teaching that is healthy, it's, it's reliable. Teach these groups the sound doctrine, doctrine that's true, doctrine that is whole, doctrine that's reliable. It's eternally healthy. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to Titus. And he's saying it to every single one of us as leaders in the church. That is our call as a pastor, is to teach healthy, true, reliable doctrine. And then he gets into this first group. He says, older men. And, and the, the, the age of that is, is somewhat unknown. I, I think we can kind of guess that it's probably in the, the, the latter half of that second court, uh, if you will, for older men. Older men are to be, here's that quality character, self-controlled, literally tempered, uh, level-headed, not a hothead, not, not given to extremes in behavior. There to be that self-control is 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 meant is a is to be sober-minded, wisely keeping self-control over your passions and desires. He goes on. He says, "Be be self-control, worthy of respect. Be sensible, and sound in the faith." So here, Paul told Titus, "I want you to teach what is sound." To these older men, and they are to be sound in the faith. Do you see this discipleship process going on? Do you see how Paul is teaching Titus? Now, Titus is to teach the older men. And later on, we'll see where he says, I want you to teach the younger men. A couple of years ago, my mentor, my father in the faith, passed away. Donnie Harbors. man that I got to serve with for nine years in ministry. It was the man that... That, uh, that I surrendered to ministry under his preaching. And um, a week before he passed away, I got to uh, spend some time with him in the hospital. And in the hospital, Donnie was, was laying there in the bed, and, uh, and he knew that his days were, were very limited. Didn't know exactly when, but it was, it was, he, he, he was just limited. Across the bed from me was a man by the name of Steve. Steve was Donnie's pastor when Donnie surrendered to ministry. One of the hardest conversations that I had in that hospital room with Donnie was he looked at Steve and he said, Steve, you've been my Paul. You have mentored me. You have guided me. You have taught me so much. And then he looked over at me and he said, Russ, you have been my Timothy. I have attempted to mentor you and to guide you, teach you so much. And he said, I can't think of a better way to have my funeral than for my Paul and my Timothy to preach my funeral. Wow. What a privilege to get to preach the funeral for my Paul in the faith. And to get to preach it with his Paul in the faith. 
And the, the model that we see here that Paul is leaving with Titus on this island of Crete, he's like, this is the model. Every Paul needs to have a Timothy and every Timothy needs to have a Paul. That's us in the church. We are both Pauls and we are Timothys. He says, I, I want you to, with sound teaching, with reliable teaching, I want you to teach these older men who in turn are going to teach some younger men sound faith. Listen, that, that, um, that sounds tough. That, that sounds like, I, I'm just not qualified for that. I, I can't do that. That's impossible for me to do. I'm just where I need to be spiritually. Now is the time to start getting there. And I want, you, I, want to be, I want you to be reminded of this. That God has not called you to a task that He doesn't equip you to be successful in doing. God equips you to what He calls you to. By the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, you can be, men, a Timothy to some, Or you can be a Paul. And younger men, listen, you can be a Timothy and you can listen to these fathers in the faith here in our church. You can also be a Paul to someone younger than you. Listen, may we learn to be dependent on Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10 says this, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness where a lot of us feel like we're at. We feel like we're just too weak to be able to do something like this. For my power, this is God speaking, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. It's okay. This morning, I want you to come to a place right where you're at where you say, I'm too weak to be a Paul to anybody. I can't do that. It's at that place that God says, okay, now I can use you. <laughs> In your weakness, I can be strong through that. He goes on to say, verse 10, So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when we admit our weaknesses that, man, this, this scares me to death to be able to talk to a, a, you know, a younger son in the faith and just be able to pour, pour biblical truth into them. That's a good place to be because you're not dependent on yourself. You're dependent on God. Verse 3 gives us the second group of people. First, it was the older men. Now it is the older women. Again, not exactly sure what, what age that is, uh, but more than likely in the latter part of the second quarter of life. Somewhere in that maybe um, mid-30s and up. Older women are to be, here's that quality of character I want you to see. They are to be reverent, literally meaning God-fearing, that their heart is drawn to God. This is what God is calling women to in our church. Be reverent in behavior. That their behavior is to be shaped by a reverence and awe, fear of the Lord. And please don't hear me saying this. Your behavior, God is not calling you to a behavior that appeases Him. 
There's nothing that we can do to appease God except for to accept the blood of His Son. This, this, comes, out of a, this comes out of an overflow of being drawn to God. That, that as I'm being drawn to God, that my behavior is one that reverences Him. One that is in awe of Him. One that is in a respectful fear of a just and righteous God. So he says older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. The New American Standard Version says malicious gossips. Literally means this, a lack of control of the tongue. Uh, tongue is a very small muscle, but it can do a lot of damage, Right? We've all experienced that as, as using that small little muscle. And we've all experienced it by someone else using it on us. Listen to these two scriptures. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4. Just write these down in the margin of your Bible. <clears throat> says this, Proverbs 15 4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. For the one who wants to love life... And to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And so here in the text we have where Paul is, is saying to Titus, to the pastors, to the elders of the churches, I want you to teach these older women to not be slanderers, to be reverent in behavior. And Paul gives us an example of reverence of this behavior in verse 3. He says, not, not slaves to excessive drinking, not, not slanders, not malicious gossips. This slaves to excessive drinking is the ability, literally, it's not just talking about alcohol, it's literally talking about the ability to have self-control. It's the same thing that we saw with the older men. Teach the older men to have self-control. It's the same thing that he's going to say to the young men. Teach the younger men to have self-control. Control And here it is with the women. Teach the women not to be slaves, not to be, uh, not to be uh, uh, um, out of control in excessive drinking. And then he gives an action. He, he said, here's a skilled action I want you to teach them to cultivate. They are to, the speaking of the older women, they are to teach what is good. So here we have, again, this Paul Timothy relationship, but it's Paul teaching the older women to have this ability to teach solid doctrine, reliable, healthy doctrine. Teach them to teach what is good. Teach them with the intention that they are going to take what you have just taught and teach someone else. Here you see this ripple effect. You've seen it. Throwing a rock in the water and you see how the ripple effect, these concentric circles just go out. And this is the picture that Paul is giving us of a healthy, biblically healthy church. Apostle Paul, here, this is so interesting when you see this. This is so counterculture what Paul is doing. He is elevating the, word, the value of women by giving them the responsibility of teaching, specifically teaching younger women. That was so counterculture that day. And Paul is saying, no, 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 listen. I want you to teach the older women to teach the younger women. Older women are to teach younger women. We see that in verse 4. Watch this, verse 4. So that, or let me back up there, to teach what is good, verse 4, so that 
they, speaking of the older women, may encourage, literally, instruct with wisdom. May they encourage the young women to watch this, to love their husbands and to love their children. Now you begin to see a Paul-Timothy relationship with, with, with Paul and, and the older women. Now it's, it's a Mary-Martha relationship of one teaching, the older one teaching a younger one. May they encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be, and here's this quality of character again that's just been over and over and over, to be self-controlled, pure, literally meaning being washed by the blood of Jesus, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands. Now, this is the part I was getting to a while ago. There are a lot of landmines in this text. Listen to what it says. Look at the order. The order that this is in is so important. I wish I had more time to spend unpacking each and every one of these. And I would say, if you want to, if you want to do some, some extra reading here, Ephesians chapter 5. Apostle Paul doesn't really go into a lot of the, the details here, but you can look at, at Ephesians chapter 5 and you can see where he unpacks this even a little bit more. But I want you to look at these truths. Not through our cultural lenses, because the culture has robbed some of these words, words like submission, that are very beautiful and very biblical. Culture has robbed these. So I don't want you to look at them through a cultural lens. I want you to look at them biblically. When you take these in order that Paul has given us, we can see a biblical priority that should be the priority of every Christian woman, whether married or not. So let's look at it. Verse 4, the older women, says, are to teach the younger women to be loving towards their husbands. Here's, we see the first priority is, let me back up just for a second. First priority is to God. Teach them with sound doctrine. That's the first priority is, 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 to, is to God. The second and third priority is found in the remaining part of verse 4. To love their husbands. To love their children would be the third priority. I am not ashamed to say this, that I am not Kim's first priority. God is her first priority. And I'm telling you, Kim is a better wife when God is her first priority. And listen, I'm a better husband when Kim is not my first priority. My children is not my first priority. My ministry is not my first priority, but God is my first priority. And that's what we see in this, this order. First priority is God. Second priority is her, is her husband if she is married. The third priority is her children if she has children. Now follow, follow with me. God, husband, children. And then the fourth through the sixth priority is found in verse 4. Pure. Meaning she's constantly being washed by the word of God. Which by the way, husbands, listen. That is your responsibility. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says, Husbands, we are to wash our wives with the Word. Fifth priority is a worker at home. Now hear me out here. The emphasis, I don't believe, is on the location of a wife's work, but on being productive in the normal occupations of a wife. Each and every day. It's not necessarily the location of work, but it is most definitely the priority. 
When our work becomes our top priority, it's out of whack. When our work becomes our second priority, it is out of whack. He is saying to women, let, your, let, your, let God be your first priority. If you are married, let your husband be your second priority. If you have children, let your, let your children be your third priority. Your fourth priority is to, be, is to continue to be washed by the Word. And your fifth priority is your career. Listen, working outside of the home, I don't think is unbiblical. There's a lot of people that have, have strong beliefs on both sides of that argument. But Proverbs 31, which is a, a text that is often pointed to on the godliest of the godly women. And in Proverbs chapter 31, it reveals a woman who is highly praised, who worked outside of her home. So again, the emphasis isn't on the location, but in order of priority in a woman's life. And then we have the sixth priority. Sixth priority is another landmine. And it's again, it's, a, it's something that the culture has just robbed from, from the church. And, and we need to take this back over. We need to understand this is a good word. It's not a bad word. But the sixth priority is in submission to her husband if she's married. Now, again, Paul is more expansive in, in his treatment of the husband and wife responsibilities in Ephesians chapter 5. And I encourage you to, to go there this afternoon. But listen, nowhere in Scripture, and this is where the culture would say that, that for someone to be submissive over someone else, that someone is a dictator and you have to be a doormat, that is unbiblical. That is not what it means to be submissive. Jesus Christ Himself was submissive to God the Father. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Here He was, the Son of God, God in the flesh, left the glory and the splendor of heaven to come down to earth to serve and to submit to God's plan in his life. This is not a bad word. This is an absolutely beautiful word when it's done within the priority and it's done under the, under the, the, the leadership of a godly husband. A godly husband who is willing to open up the scriptures over his wife and to purify her and to bless her and to, and to, and to, and to, just, to just to continue to, to, to be a spiritual leader in her life. And I'm telling you, when that happens, I believe that women would be willing to submit. So here we see submit. Listen, another thing it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that you have to suppress your talents. It doesn't mean that you have to suppress your intelligence. It doesn't mean that you have to suppress your gifts. All of those can, can grow. All of those can be used when they're used in the right order. In the right priority. But notice this. The very end of verse 5. So Paul is saying. I want you to teach these older women. Who in turn are going to teach the younger woman. Younger women to have this quality of character. Why? So that God's word. Will not be slandered. It's not that he's just wanting a, 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 the right order in the home, as important as that is. And he goes into much greater detail of that in Ephesians 5. But he's saying this, that our character, the way that our home is structured, the priorities that we have in our home, have the ability to draw people to the Word of God or has the ability to repel people from the Word of God. Oh man, may our homes not slander the Word of God because we have our priorities out of whack. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here to Titus. That's what he's saying to us. For, to, be, to be a healthy, biblically healthy church. To be filled with members who are biblically healthy. And he's given us these instructions. Alright, let's go on to the third group. The fourth group. Young men. This is interesting. Because he goes into great de detail with the older men. And even greater detail with the older women and the young women. 
And then in verse 6, he's speaking to the younger men. This is probably those that are in the first quarter of life that are 19 and below. He says this, in the same way, encourage. Here's this, uh, uh, give wisdom, this biblical wisdom. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That's it. He doesn't go into, he's like, man, if you can get that one thing across, it's a win. Teach them to be self-controlled. If you have teenagers in the home, you know how important it is for them to be self-controlled. They're bouncing all over the place for the things that they want, right? Their desires and their passions. He says, teach younger younger men to be self-controlled. And then in verse 7, in everything, Titus, make yourself an example of good works with integrity... You know, integrity is best defined by what you would do when no one else is looking, when no one else can find out. Think about if you, whatever you do when no one else would ever find out. That's what integrity is. And, and I want you to see this. He's saying, he's saying, I want you to live in such a way. I want you to make yourself an example of good works with integrity. Because your integrity, even though no one else will find out, has the ability, your integrity, good integrity, has the ability to draw people to me. Listen, your poor integrity has the ability to repel people away from me. So here he is. Make yourself an example, Titus. Good work. So he's gone back. We see this back and forth. He's gone back to this Paul-Titus discipleship relationship. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity, with dignity in your teaching. Paul is saying your character affects your witness. A couple of weeks ago, I made this statement, character is greater than skill. I want you to remember this, character affects your witness. Your integrity affects your witness. Your character affects your witness. Listen, when people are watching or when they're not watching, they will be drawn to or drawn away from the gospel. He goes on in verse 8. He says, your message, Titus, is to be sound beyond reproach. And what's this purpose again? Oh, Paul, is, Paul has this, this baby church, multiple churches who are so fragile and he's given this instruction. I'm telling you, our church, even though we're 60, almost 70 years old, is fragile. It could be gone in a moment. And may we follow this instruction that Paul has given. He has given this instruction. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. That is how we are to live our lives as individuals. That's how we are to live our lives as couples. That's how we are to live our lives as a church body so that if anybody, any false teacher, or anybody that doesn't believe the way we believe, that doesn't believe the gospel, they can try to say something about us, it would fall on deaf ears. And they would be ashamed. He goes on to this last group in verse 9. To slaves or bond servants. Uh, I, I believe that today we could, we could apply this to being an employee. Uh, Paul doesn't go into great detail here of, uh, of, of what it was like to be a slave. Um, but I believe just in applying this to our, our lives today, um, it is an employee. And I, I, think, I think that we could, I think we could glean from this 
no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether it is a great job situation or whether it is a horrible situation, whether you go to school with wicked people or work with wicked people or have a wicked boss, listen, we still have the opportunity and the responsibility to make much of God. That's what we can see here in this text. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything. Here Paul is saying, I want you to have this humble action. Submit to your masters in everything. Colossians chapter 3, write this down in the margin of your Bible. I want you to see this text. I want you to remember this text. It's going to be on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, verse 23. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Listen, the Apostle Paul calls himself a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ. May we see ourselves like that as well. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched. There's the integrity part. As people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, do it from the heart. And here's the main part I want you to see. As something done for the Lord and not for people. Oh, listen, may we work. I believe this is what Paul is saying. Slaves are to submit to the masters and everything. May we submit to those that we are under in our careers or those that we work alongside that have authority over us. May we submit to everything, not for them, but as to the Lord. This last year, a, a group of men, a couple of times, we went through this wonderful book called Gospel at Work. It's great for men. It's great for women. It's a wonderful book. Listen, we have 168 hours every single week. How are we to use that 168 hours? Whether you're in school or whether you're employed somewhere or whether you are retired. We all have 168 hours each week. And that book gives some great examples of how we can use that time for the advancement of the gospel. So let me ask you, how are you using... Your 168 hours for the advancement of the gospel. Oh, sure, some of it is already set aside for work. Some of it is set aside for sleep. Some of it is set aside for hobbies. But there's a lot of time left over for us to use it for the advancement of the gospel. First in our home, first in our cir- or second in our circle of influence, our, our community, and third, globally. So he says, slaves are to submit to their masters and everything. And to be, here's that quality of character again, well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness. And watch this purpose. I believe this sums up the the whole text. So that they, people we work with, employers, so that they may adorn. That word adorn is attractive. So that they would be adorned to, so they would be attracted to the teaching of God, our Savior, in everything. That sums up the whole text. May our character, may our behavior, may our actions not do anything that would draw people away from the gospel. But may it do everything that draws people to the gospel. So let me close with the same question I opened with. What will you do with the remainder of your life? That will make the gospel attractive to lost people. Let me give you this last instruction. Don't waste your life waiting on eternity. Jesus didn't save you to just sit here and wait for eternity. Don't waste your life just waiting for eternity. The gospel. The good news. 
it's only good to those who hear it. If they never hear it, they don't hear it. And they'll be lost and spend eternity in hell. Listen, don't let your life be a stumbling block for the people that need to hear the gospel. Your actions, your behavior, your beliefs will reveal your doctrine. Oh God, may I grow in this area? May we all grow in this area in biblical health. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I thank you so much for your wonderful word. And God, I pray that.